unscripted, unbound, unconditional. Welcome to The Well Unfiltered. I'm Mindy. I'm Nicole. And we are the hosts of The Well Unfiltered podcast. Where each episode you'll hear unscripted faith stories that will make you think. Unbound life lessons that will crack you up. I'm talking adjust your waistband laughter. But most of all, unconditional grace and love that will help you connect to God and to other women. Welcome to The Well Unfiltered. Welcome back to The Well Unfiltered. I am one of your hosts, Mindy. And I'm Nicole. And we're glad that you're here with us today. You know, today we are talking about a, I think, a pretty personal relationship subject for Mm -hmm. us, which is parenting. We are both parents. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of thoughts on being (laughs) parents, a lot of feelings, too. Yes. Um, But, you know, before we dive into that, I want to invite you really quick to connect with us, whether you're a parent or not. And Okay, side note, we're going to totally deviate. I'm the worst at the intro. I just, <laughs> no, it's you're fine. Not. It's fine. Jenna, our social media is like, just tell people to connect with us on social media. I'm like, I have too many thoughts. Okay, so we are going to talk about parenting, but yeah. I want to say if you are not a parent, I hope that you don't just turn this episode off because our goal is to not exclude, but include. Mm-hmm. And the things that we can learn from these parenting relationships, I think apply. So that's my little yes. disclaimer for the day. And we're not really just talking about our role as parents, right. but being parented, mm-hmm. which all of us have someone that parented us. Yes. And so there are spiritual lessons to learn. From Absolutely. That. So yeah. stick with us. Stay tuned. Yes. But before we talk about all that, we do want to invite you to follow us on social media, connect with us there. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We've said every single episode we're on TikTok. So if that hasn't happened, you all can DM us on Instagram <laughs> and say, where is your TikTok page? You are a Get liar. your life together. <laughs> and then I did make a reel. Have I talked about that? Mm-mm. That I made a reel for the first time with like the words where you oh, point and okay. for St. Luke's. And I felt really cool. And I told my husband, I was like, I'm not going to be that mid thirties that won't learn new things. And he said, you are that person and walked out of the room. <laughs> so that's how social media is going for me mm-hmm. these days. Great. But we want to see you there. So we love connecting with you. And yeah, today we are talking about parenting. We're in this relationship series and we couldn't have this series without hitting on these types of relationships. Yes. So Nicole, you had really a scriptural theme that you wanted to tie us into. So I'm going to let you talk about that. Yeah, I I wanted to maybe have this conversation a little bit differently because parenting is such a wide topic. We could have a podcast on unfiltered parenting. Yeah. In fact, I mean, there are podcasts on yes. parenting. And so, you know, to talk about it in one episode, which, you know, should be 20 minutes, but we always go to 30 mm-hmm. minutes, seemed challenging. And so then I thought, what kind of scripture narrative may be a good place for us to hang out? And I think that David... Uh, his narrative is one that we learn a lot about parenting. And it's one that a lot of people know. You know, whether you are a master's level thesis Christian, you've taken all the things, gone to all the worship services, or you have just registered and you're not sure (laughs) whether you're going to show up for class, Mm -hmm. you've probably heard about David because David's narrative has transcended just what you hear about in church. It shows up in movies and plays and um, is kind of a social moniker, the David and Goliath story. And so 
you know, when we often hear about David, there are two parts of his identity that kind of rise to the top. And the first is David as a warrior, right? There's that uh, small boy with the slingshot going up against Goliath. And we love that story because we've all felt like underdogs at times. We've all felt like we're facing giants in our lives, either physical, emotional, mental. And the idea that God can empower us to face them uh, and to conquer them is one that we hold on to. So there's this, you know, that image of David. And David grows in that light over time. You know, there's a scripture about Saul slays thousands and David slays ten thousands, right? He's this paragon of strength. Uh, But then there's this other side to David that I think a lot of people resonate with, and that's David as a worshiper. David is accredited with writing many of our psalms, and David literally gets so hype one day in worship that he dances down to his underwear. And, and then is like, um, I know you see me, and I don't care. Like, God is that good to me that this is how we're going to do it. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> I tell, this is, like, not the point at all. But my least favorite worship song of all time is... Uh, I will dance I will David dance David dance. I'm like, I will not dance as David dance. This is awkward. Do not make me look like a fool. So, so there's that. <laughs> we like so there are songs about that because there's this freedom in worship that David's story makes us think about. And yet, all of this kind of career success as a um, a warrior and as a king, all of this kind of worship modeling, David is described as a man after God's own heart. And yet, there's this other part of his narrative that we don't really talk about. By the end of David's life, um, his daughter has been raped by one of her brothers. uh, One of his sons is literally leading an insurrection Mm -hmm. (laughs) against his power. And um, there's this David as father life that is not uh, perhaps so rosy. Mm -mm. And so I think we have a lot to learn from that. And that can inform our conversation about parenting relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny. I don't know that I really have ever thought about David mm. as a parent. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know that he had all these kids. Yes. It's part of the story, but it isn't really where we give the focus. And I wonder if it is because it's so dysfunctional. I think that's part of it. And I also think there's, there is a part of our culture that... Uh, rewards career or professional success over personal or parenting success. Mm. And that um, that's what's more important. I think especially even as we judge men. If we were talking about David and David was a, a mother, maybe this would be a different conversation. Um, but I, I do think that we often uh, privilege that as more important Uh, than the other and I think that that is maybe a first area for us to think about as parents um, you know what are the things that challenge our ability to be fully present with our children and how might investing in them or ignoring them show up later uh, in our journey or our relationships with our children yeah I will never forget when 
Zach, my husband, once told me, he was like, it seems like you don't know how to, like, not be at work when you're home. And so that was cool feedback to get. It felt really good. <laughs> but he was right. You know, it was hard for me to just turn it off and be present and enjoy that moment with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really challenged my, like, okay, I really don't love the, like, work-life balance thing because I, I think we're a lot more integrative than that as people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's it's almost like a, a priority re reorganizing like what is the most important thing that doesn't mean other things aren't important right what's the most important yeah because when we read David's narrative we read about all the time he spends as a warrior (laughs) or worshiping which is important Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't read very much about time he's spending with his children if at all and I think it also kind of brings up for us what David's relationship with his parents may have been like. We don't know much about David's mother, but we know David's father. And when David was anointed king, it was an afterthought. Total afterthought. He was like, well, I have this kid, but he's, you don't need to worry about him. (laughs) And it's interesting to think about how David was forgotten Mm -hmm. and how David's relationships with his children may not be as much of a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wonder if that's something for us to unpack as we think about our own parenting relationships. Um, what did we learn from our parents about how important the relationship between parent and child is? Ooh, or like, what did we learn? You're bringing up so many things right now. Just, <laughs> we're having a moment. Um, what did we learn about things like investing time in parenting or work I will never forget I had a my nana my dear nana who's like basically like my mom mm-hmm. she told me when I had hazel she was like well the minute that baby's here you're not going to want to go back to work mm-hmm. and then when I did it was like well what's wrong with you how mm-hmm. could you leave that baby mm-hmm. and so that created like narratives that I had to unlearn mm-hmm. for what is a good parent well a good parent can do more than one thing right and it's as you share that I think of my mom didn't work for the first five years of my life so I don't think until kindergarten do I remember my mom working and um, I remember having Joshua and my mom used to we would do flashcards every single day I could read by the time I was three she had this whole educational program and I thought oh that's what I will do with my son The difference was I was working Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I had left that out of the equation. So I'm like, why don't you are two and a half? You should be on chapter books. What's happening? (laughs) And I had to realize that my life was different than when my mother had me. And there were some things that I enjoyed and benefited from that she instilled in me. But if I wanted to instill them, they were going to have to look different because of the different dynamic that I had as a working parent during that stage Mm -hmm. of his life. And I think that with David, I wonder if David had the space to think about what do I want to carry over Mm -hmm. from, because there there must have been something 
um, that was passed down where this kid literally walks up to giants and takes out slingshots. Right. Like <laughs> there, there's something, and maybe it was, you know, you being out mm -hmm. in the wilderness and having to fend for yourself. That's called resilience. Yes. <laughs> it comes from trauma. Right. <laughs> but I think what breaks my heart and what also challenges me about his narrative is that it's so clear that some of that trauma shows up again yeah. in his own parenting. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're not careful, we can fall into that mm -hmm. same dynamic. Um, you know, as one of the lesser known pieces of David's story is his daughter Tamar, mm -hmm. um, who is sexually assaulted by her brother Amnon. This sounds like a young and the restless. I mean, it like, is. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, that's what it says in Second Samuel. Check it out. Um, and Mindy, I was rereading that. I have preached on Tamar before, and. I am embarrassed to admit that I just today, years old, realized mm -hmm. that the person who instructed Amnon on how to basically set up the scene where he could rape his sister was David's brother. Mm. I mean, this was not a stranger. And so what that tells me is that there's a, a family culture of abuse. Yeah. And then we think about what did David do to Bathsheba? Ugh. Right. And, and, and there's just this, there's these layers to this where we often hear about David's relationship with Bathsheba, which, spoiler alert, w was another sexual assault situation. Right, right. Um, we hear about that and we talk about his big mistake, but we don't see it as something that it was a part of their familial culture. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it brings us to this question about you know, what family trauma mm -hmm. may we be inheriting and inadvertently passing down? Um, I wonder how you would respond to that. Yeah, well, I think about this all the time um, because- It's on your calendar? It is on trauma my calendar. Think about family <laughs> trauma today and re recalibrate. <laughs> but I mean, because I have a lot of trauma in my family of origin story, you mm -hmm. know, I, I do think about this, and Zach and I talk all the time, like, what is the different story we're writing for our mm. kids? So, I mean, like, my trauma was very much from, like, neglect and emotional abuse. But another thing that really happened in my family was there was a lot of yelling, and there was a lot of, like, we don't talk about the hard things. Everything has to look perfect, which is a great way to, you know, like, ice over Right. abuse and neglect and all those things mm -hmm. and so we've just made a real point in our family like I can have quite a temper like anger is my my not very helpful sidekick that <laughs> just walks around with me so it is easy for me to feel like a ton of anger in me mm. but I have been very intentional that I do not yell at my children now unless Reese is like doing something dangerous <laughs> which happens quite regularly but <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> that's, that's a safety concern. But when we're having an anger moment, like mm -hmm. we don't spank, we don't yell. And I'm not like shaming you if you do those things, but I'm saying mm -hmm. because of how the trauma I experienced from those things, those things can't have a place in our home. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about hard things. We can mm -hmm. ask each other for forgiveness. We can, you know, we recently told our kids that we were moving and I told Hazel, my third grader, you're allowed to be upset about this. You're allowed to be angry at me. You don't have 
to sort of resolve your feelings because I I can take it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a safe place for you to be upset. Okay, I never heard that growing up. Are you kidding me? It was like, get over it, figure it out. Don't make too much trouble. I mean, my, <laughs> my dad, like, told me once, he's like, you are causing problems in this house because you're upset about X, Y, and Z. Mm. I mean, that's so toxic. Mm-hmm. Not good at all. And so we really think about, like, what are these toxic things that I, I mean, my husband's family's pretty darn healthy, but like, what were the things that I experienced mm-hmm. and how can we not ever repeat those for yeah. our kids? Yeah. I, I have been thinking a lot about, um, maybe I don't have it on my calendar as much as I should mm. actually. Um, it really though does take intentionality. Like yeah. we joke about that, but if you're not intentional, your patterns will just make absolutely their way. And I think that is, I, I want to underline that for a minute because Sometimes when we think about family trauma, we think of, you know, the David or David's brother who's like doing this really horrible thing. Um, but I do think that they did not think about this, that no. it was just a, a yeah. pattern that mm-hmm. was repeated and showed up in uncle and father and son mm-hmm. and maybe even for generations after. Um, but I think that one of the, the sources of, of trauma in my family, especially on my, my side, is uh, probably racial trauma or trauma associated with colorism. Mm. Um, my mother's family has a lot of racial mixture, and my grandparents both grew up in the South, where if you haven't heard the term the one-drop rule, if you are any amount of black, you are black and that's it. And so uh, my mom is very fair and has blue eyes and used to get picked on all of the time. Um, She talked about how, you know, growing up, she grew up during the kind of black power movement and was like, yeah, so blue-eyed black girl just did not fit into the black power movement and how she would spend time trying to get like an Afro, even though it was never going to come. And... I've thought about how she went to her dad, my grandfather, and said, I don't understand why I look different and you look different and we all don't fit into this frame of what a black family is supposed to look like. And my grandfather's response to her was, you're black, that's it. Like, and and he, was, he would not talk any further about it, mm-hmm. which if you ever met him, you never had a conversation less than an hour because it, there were just so many historical things, but that conversation did not continue. And what I've learned, because my mother shifted that narrative, was that there was racial trauma as to why our family had so much um, kind of uh, mixture ethnically. Mm -hmm. But then there were also people in our family who had passed for white and cut off relationship with the family. And so I think for my grandfather, it was... It was a sense of um, maybe protection and just trying to, as you talk about, paper over things and not talk about some of those hard things. And so my mother, when she had us, and my mother and I look very differently, um, was so openly affirming of how different I looked and how beautiful I was. And so I did not grow up with a, a... I think maybe a, a distorted image of my darkness or my brownness. And um, 
I remember, I've shared this before, that going to college, there was a support group for girls who had dark skin and I was invited to it. And I was like, what is this? Like, I, I, don't, I don't have that because mm-hmm. my mother took that experience of family trauma and intentionally decided to build something else. And here is what's amazing to me. So I have a nine-year-old who's obsessed with American Girl dolls. And for her birthday next week, I will give her the doll that she designed for herself. Uh, that's supposed to look like her. And so I said, oh, do you want this, you know, doll? She looks like my mother, my daughter. And so I thought, oh, you know, this, she has olive skin and she has hazel eyes like you and she has light brown curly hair. And Olivia said, no, no, I want a doll that looks like you because grandma had you and maybe I'll have a daughter who's brown or I might have a daughter who's olive or I might have a daughter who's, we don't even know. (laughs) And it was interesting to me that when given the opportunity for her to have this doll literally made in her image, that her image of what beautiful could be did not even look like herself. Mm. And how that has shifted from my mother at six or seven saying, why do I look different? And someone just won't talk to her Mm -hmm. about it. And so I think that there's this power that we have in naming those traumatic patterns within our family and intentionally disrupting them. And the gift that we give the next generation where they don't even know that that trauma is there. Olivia just thinks it's normal that you have different people in your family of different hues. Because in truth, there are very few families that all have the same skin color anyway. But it's... It is amazing to me that that just comes to her mind. And what Mm -hmm. gifts of freedom do we withhold from ourselves and our children when we can't address these things? Mm -hmm. And how different the end of David's life could have been if he was not bound by the unaddressed trauma in his life. Right. And so I love that you told that story about how your mom shifted Mm -hmm. that narrative that she gave you something different to give to your kids because Mm -hmm. I think for those of us that are doing that work right now like we're a generation what behind I guess on doing that right we need to hear those stories of hope that this work is worth it Mm -hmm. so I hope that if you're in that situation if you are the one undoing generational trauma in your Mm -hmm. family that keep keep going it's worth it like it is work worth doing mm-hmm. um but it makes me think you know what lesson do you hope that your kids would learn from you mm. i think one of the things i hope they learn is that they have the power to create their own family traditions i think when i first got married i thought that i inherited the model of how you do parenting and in partnership with someone else Number one, it's you're if you are in partnership with someone else, um, you're never going to recreate that same model. Right. And also, you're not your parents. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. if you live in the same house and you wear their same clothes, it's still not going to be that. Um, but there's freedom in that. There is a gift in that. Um, and I think maybe the second thing that I hope my children take with them from our family that I inherited from my mother is the, the well unfiltered is really just the conversations that I have with Gwen. 
Like my my mother would talk about anything and everything to the mm-hmm. point of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like we don't want to talk about this. Like <laughs> and it has created a relationship where my children literally think they can talk to me about anything. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes challenges me, but I'm grateful for that. And I hope that that's something they will take with their children, that nothing is off limits mm-hmm. just because I'm your parent and you're a child. What about you? Yeah. So first of all, all I can think right now is about we don't talk about Bruno. Oh, so yes. I hope that is best stuck in your head. <laughs> and how amazing it is, like how universal this thought is, though, that we have like this crazy successful Disney movie that is all about dysfunctional family dynamics. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> That's it. So and if you have seen Encanto, sure. you need to go watch it. And yes. also the soundtrack's great. Okay. <laughs> so what I hope my kids will learn from me, I think – my hope is that my kids will learn to be curious. Mm. And for me, that's a few different facets of that. So I hope that they will be curious about other people's stories. Mm. Um, I think I grew up very much with like, life is supposed to work this way. And when it doesn't, it's because someone did something to knock their life off course. It's their fault. Mm. And part of my growth as an adult has been maybe their systems Maybe there's external things. Maybe life's just weird sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But instead of jumping to judgment, my greatest gift is asking questions. Mm -hmm. And so I pray, pray, pray that my kids, that is something I will pass down to them. Because I Mm -hmm. think it makes them better humans, better Jesus followers. Like, Mm -hmm. just, it's good. So, So I hope for that. And I also hope that they're just curious about their own, maybe their own stories, too and Mm -hmm. and who they are and that they I mean I think one of the hardest things as a parent is not projecting who you are or who you wish you were Mm. onto your children that they are going to be who they are and to give them space to do that I don't want any of those lessons so you keep those over (laughs) there you keep those to yourself (laughs) but you're I mean you're so right and we see that very clearly in this narrative yeah and if we are intentional we can offer our children a model that can shape healthiness Mm -hmm. and spiritual growth um and ultimately i think connection because i think one of the the greatest travesties of this story is at the end David has broken relationships with the people that are closest to him. And I I often think of why there's this parenting language around God, whether mother or father. And it's because I think there's so much fraught in that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And God is constantly asking us to reframe that relationship in particular. So we could keep going because this could be, a whole uh, podcast. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and I know we got the five minute signal like five minutes ago, David. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, yeah. I just, again, <laughs> I think David is the most patient. <laughs> this David, the David in our, yes, this room, not, not the, David the weird the um, systems it, um, yes. plagued David. Um, so what's filling your well? What is filling my well is the absolute glory of a nine-year-old little, almost nine-year-old little girl, and that she is still genuinely excited 
about reading books about made-up dolls. Yes. <laughs> and I just love that mm-hmm. that fills her well um, and that that's something that we can enjoy together. And if you are looking for a sponsor a child program, I'd like to offer up Olivia. American Girl is running my pockets. <laughs> like it is, it's a so problem. Expensive. So yeah, I can put uh, her cash app in in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there's an American Girl podcast? What? I know. This mind is blown. Mind blown. That will fill your well. It oh, is yes. fascinating. Okay. okay. We'll try What's to link your that. well? Aside my, from the American Girl podcast. Aside from the American Girl podcast. <laughs> um, no, it's funny. I was actually going to say the same thing. Um, hmm. An eight-year-old girl. Hmm. But I am, lo- I mean, my five-year-old son is awesome and wild and precious and i'm pretty sure he's still a baby forever in my heart but he's starting kindergarten <laughs> next year that is making me freak out but what is filling my well are these conversations that i have with my daughter mm. who's in third grade and i was having lunch with her the other day at panera and i looked over i was like who is this human like <laughs> sitting with me i mean she is just becoming who she is and it's so awesome and it's super different than me and it is mm. cool Mm-hmm. So I just love seeing who she's becoming and mm-hmm. I am trying so hard to just like be as not in the way of that as I possibly can. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we want to hear about who you need to get out of the way of, uh, whether you are a parent or you're being parented and what you're learning, the spiritual lessons that have blessed you, uh, or maybe even some of the places of, of trauma that you're reframing so that you pass down something different. Connect with us, share with us uh, your responses to those things and we will see you on the next episode of the well unfiltered